Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother? Everything is well, man. How things on your end? Hey, all is well on my end, too, man. I think I got, I got like a little cold. I got sick. <laughs> I don't have the thing. I ain't gonna even say it. But uh, <laughs> I can't even get a cold no more. Uh, anyway, uh, I got a, also, we were pleased to announce we have a, a special guest. Uh, Nicholas Ashton, how's it going? I'm doing wonderful. And uh, as you can see behind us, we got snow. And I know in your part of the world, you're getting a little bit too. Uh, but uh, looking forward to a great weekend. And don't forget on Monday, it's MLK Day. Yeah, don't forget that. Pay your respects, for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Without further ado, let's get it going. So, uh, Nicholas, uh, can you let us know what do you do for a living and for a purpose? And uh, also, how many kids you got and what are their ages? Oh, well, I've got two old older children. Um, they're not children anymore. Uh, two daughters. Um, one lives in uh, Perth, Australia, and one lives here in the United States in Orlando. Um, 30s and 40s. Um, super, super great uh kids but there's one thing I, I i was away so much that i was not and i'm admitting this the greatest parent there was because i wasn't around enough um and uh, i'm i'm very passionate about that that parents need to do more uh, with their children and be around them and i've learned lessons because of that and that's important the uh, from a point of view of uh, employment i'm the president of a company called r fusion we're a high-tech company um, that uh, is involved in everything to do electronics. Um, we'll start with the top end. Um, we actually are involved in the camera business. When we say cameras, we do facial recognition. Um, we've been doing it 23 years. Um, we've got one building in London. Um, we've got many, but one, 62 stories. Everything you do in that building is done with your face. Um, it opens the speed gates. It tells you what floor you need to be at when you get to the elevator. You pay with your face at the restaurant. When you park your car, it looks at the license plate and your face lets you in. Somebody tries to steal your car, looks at the number plate, looks at the face and says, you're not getting out of here. Uh, and also we do what we call criminal referencing, which is working with law enforcement. And just to make a very strong point, um, there are many people who have no understanding about facial recognition whatsoever, and it's a lot of liberals, um, facial recognition has never found anybody guilty of anything because you can't. All it can do is point that there is a digital match or a per percentage match, and thereafter uh, it needs further investigation. Um, and, and that's it. So that, that argument. And the other coolest thing is we can say this, here am I with a, quote, white face, and they say, well, dark skin, oh, major, major problem. We don't have those problems because when we look at any face, it's all to do with digitals and it's the movement of the face, it's the lumps and the bumps and what have you. And we've all got that. So the arguments about its, quote, racial is ridiculously wrong. Um, and again, it comes back to educating. And then, of course, uh, we, are, we have to power cameras. So we, we are a manufacturer of solar uh, and have been for over 18 years. Um, and we manufacture in the United States. Nothing we use is Chinese, um, no disrespect, but uh, we just don't like what they're doing with people or the way they make things. 
And my passion is, is absolutely enjoying life, enjoying my work, researching, and as an old fart, passing on information that I've learned over the years. Pretty interesting. Um, seems like you you've done a lot of things in life. Um, like going back to earlier in your introduction, you talked about uh, being a, a better parent to your to your daughters. Like, how did you come to that realization? Or uh, did anything happen? Was it like the that Cat Stevens song where you like <laughs> you was trying to to be around them and they didn't have time? You was like, thought back like you should have been around more. Well, it, it was pure and simple. First of all, a divorce doesn't help, okay? That puts you on a distance. But it's you realize that you're missing certain things. I can remember in the early days of, of Nikki in, in Britain, where she lives, I can remember business-wise, um, my wife then was working. Um, so she used to come to a heck of a lot of board meetings with me in, in the pushchair. Um, and I, I did spend a lot of time in her early years. But as she got older, um, you know, four, five and six, I just didn't seem to have the time um, because it wasn't that I didn't have the time. It was people were wanting my time and I did not put a priority where it should have been. So that taught me a lesson. And then uh, Elizabeth, who lives in Orlando, um, same thing in a sense. Um, it got to the point where too busy and and you just can't do that. And this is what parents have got to realize. But I understand and, and you know, I understand America very well that look how much parents put out the football, the basketball. <laughs> you know, there's all these meetings that they have to go to and somebody's got to drive them there. And it's either going to be mum or dad. And I'm noticing I'm seeing more mothers that are doing this rather than fathers. Uh, and that is wrong because if we look at the stability of a family, uh, you have to have a mother and a father. Uh, you've got to have those, and depending if you've got girls or boys. And the realization was um, a guy that um, I'm still much involved in, Casey Russell, who's down in Louisiana. He has two of the most gorgeous daughters that I've watched grow up. And uh, I, I don't want to use the word jealous, but in a sense it is because he's doing it right with his kids. And, it, and it's brought me to tears a few times, realizing what the heck I missed. Um, and, and, and once I got to that stage of saying that, that and realizing that, then you, you realize what you want to uh, pass on to other people to say, look, you, know, you need to spend more time with your kids. Uh, but then again, you start saying it directly as that, they'll tell you to piss off. <laughs> they don't, don't tell me about my life, you know, but you've got to be able to um, advise, if I may put it that way, by, by teaching uh, the, the issues that you went through. So, Nicholas, since you had that realization uh, as far as how important time is, uh, how has that impacted you as a father going forward since that point? Have you built that bond with your daughter since? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't see my daughter in England as much, but my but Elizabeth down in Orlando, uh, yeah, we, we talk on the telephone quite regularly. 
Um, and and uh, prior to COVID, we used to I used to spend time down in Orlando, and we used to meet up for dinner. And it was kind of funny. You, 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 you're taking your daughter to dinner, okay, and she's in her third, early 30s, whatever, and, and you're sitting opposite her, and um, she's ordering a drink, and you're going, well, hang on. The last time we were together, you were five or six. What the heck is, is going on? But I, I think I, I will tell this part I wasn't, but, but I, I'll tell this bit, which is going to make people go, oh. When I got divorced for my first daughter, um, I, she was like five years of age. I moved to the United States. I did not see Nikki for 25 years. 25 years. And it was her that said to me, um, you know, where are you? Well, I, at the time, I, when this conversation, I was on my way to Iraq in Baghdad because I'm very much, I'm a, ex-law enforcement but counter-terrorism so i get involved in that and uh i said well i've got to come back through london um and she said well, why don't you come and spend a week with us and i said sure we got there and she then turned around that evening and said would you like to meet with janet would you like to meet with my mother and it was like how can i not say no but i can tell you that meeting in a restaurant that we used to go to regularly, there were daggers. <laughs> okay, there were daggers. Um, and people don't forget. Uh, so that was a hard, hard thing. And that's also part of my realization of how, basically, as you know, us guys will never admit, I messed up. And, and I think it's a, an incredible part of another part of why I, you mentioned the word realization and that's the realization. Silence from your end. <laughs> oh, <there> you <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you talk about like your upbringing? Oh from, my God. Um, my, my, um, I'm a, I'm, I'm, oh, you want to read the book? Um <laughs> Uh, my uh, and this is part of you know our our upbringing. Yeah, I'm glad you bring this. Is the, the upbringing is something that we all need to look at because that starts it all off. Yeah. Um, family of eight. Um, my my mother uh, had me when she was 17. Uh, I was the only child for about five years. Uh, then Nigel and then Steve. And Steve and I, by the way, are the spitting image of each other. It's just he's a a little less weight than I. Um, we talk on a regular, I was actually talking to him today, uh, but we talk regularly. Um, but I'll tell you right now, um, the family, we we kind of, uh, we lived in uh, London, in Lewisham. Uh, we then moved up to Norfolk where parents bought a supermarket. And uh, I was the kid that used to deliver groceries on a push bike with a basket on the front. And if anybody, you may not know, but Norfolk, thank goodness, is very flat. Otherwise, going up a hill with a basket full of groceries would have been nuts. Um, and uh, so family was was pretty interesting. Um, you know, did university and then joined law enforcement with the Metropolitan Police uh, and very quickly. Uh, was asked to join or to be moved into uh, counterterrorism uh, with the Irish Republican Army issues. 
which was a fantastic move. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I got hurt, um, uh, but still continued because of the information I gleaned um, as an officer in counterterrorism. And still today, I'm very much tied in through consultancies and what have you. I've done 17 trips into Baghdad and to Afghanistan. Um, I don't lead from the rear or sitting on my ass in a desk. I lead from the front uh, because that's what you have to do. You've got to have the guts to, to, to put it into perspective and go out there and do it. So that gives you kind of that. And then, of course, corporately, as I said previously, what we, we do now, and uh, um, it's, it's a bit more sane, although my wife will not let me go back into the Middle East in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I can uh, imagine why. Uh, it's a lot going on. <laughs> uh, but uh, talk. Can you speak to the relationship that you had with your dad? Like, how, how close were you guys? Yeah. Uh, well, my father was a phenomenal. And you're going to laugh at this. My father was a phenomenal drunk, um, who was a professional photographer. Uh, we had a dark room in, in the house um, back in the day. Um, and I learned a lot from him about photography uh, as a young kid. Uh, my parents divorced when I was seven. Um, so I had basically seven years with him. He was older than my mother. He was in World War II. Um, and, and literally, uh, when he was in the darkroom uh, developing those photographs, very different to today where we can just pick up the phone and go, oh, that's a good shot. Um, he was, he got excited about certain photographs he took. Um, and, and that showed me the definition, if you like, of practice, you know, in other words, he knew what he was doing and he was seeing his results and the emotion of that. I always remember the emotion. There is one photograph I don't have, but back in the day, any road crew, that was working on a road would have a little uh, uh, tent type of thing where uh, there was one guy that would uh, be the hot cup of tea. They would take their meal in there. You had to literally crawl inside. But this photograph of these guys, um, literally you're looking into the tent and you're seeing their food and their tea and it, the different expressions on their faces. And back in the day, anybody that worked on a road crew back then was a low life. In other words, can't you get a proper job? You've got to, you know, use a shovel and that was it. They were just treated very, very differently. But this, this photograph gave them uh, a representation of who they were. And I've always remembered that photograph, but I don't have it. But I can see it every time I, you know, right now I can actually see that photograph. But he was he was he was a drunk, um, <clears throat> and that's bad. Um, did it teach me something about alcohol? Yeah. Do I enjoy a drink? Yes. Do I ever get drunk? No. Uh, do I, today? Do I drink a, a glass of wine or a bottle of wine because I want to finish the bottle? No. It's the flavour. It's the enjoyment. Um, I don't drink as much beer. Mm. Uh, as I used to. It's kind of funny. I was talking to Steve this morning. Uh, he'd seen his doctor and the doctor says, how much are you now drinking, Steve? He said, well, about 10 pints of beer a week and about two bottles of wine. And I said, wow, Steve. And he said, well, you know, that's just like average. And I'm thinking, 
man, he said, Nick, he said, remember, we used to drink 10 pints in an evening. That's how much think life's changed. Um, and, of course, today with COVID, uh, if you go into a supermarket, what's on the end of every aisle? Bottles of wine, bottles of booze. That's why supermarkets are making so much money. And uh, we do have an alcohol problem in America right now uh, because of COVID. So how did you take that, um, I guess, the, the concept of practice that you saw that you got from your dad into your current uh, profession? Um, very well, using logic, um, knowing where, like, for instance, during COVID, Ian and I have radically uh, made some changes and some new, if you like, inventions and, and what have you. Um, and it's follow through. It's it's having that the ability to say, that's where I want to be. I know we can do it. And I'll, I'll tell you right now that, um, excuse me, I'm, I'm slipping in my chair. Um, and and the, the point is, we'll say, can we do this? We'll discuss it uh, maybe for 15 minutes. And then we'll both go away and, and come back and present. I'm, I'm on a project right now that I've only invested um, an hour of time, but it's it's pretty unique. And the only reason I can get there is just like my father, he kept pressing that button. He knew what he was looking at through the lens, but he didn't know what the result was until he got it back to the darkroom or today we can speed that up, but we must still quadruple check what we do. And that's, I think, what I now do. Um, we're doing some things which are pretty unique that um, we've talked to some very eminent people and they've turned around and gone, you're doing what? Well, how much is, what's the investment? About two hours. <laughs> you know, they think you've spent money. Um but it's experience and that he, my father was an experienced quality professional photographer who made a fortune out of it um, and drank most of it. So after, um, after the divorce between your, your parents, like how, how close were you with your dad after that? Was he around as much or not at all? Nope. Um, I did not see my father. Um, until most, oh, I, I didn't see him at all. Uh, I knew that he, and this is a crazy thing. Uh, what did he end up going into business? He owned two, two bars. <laughs> he actually owned two bars. And an auntie of mine said, um, uh, I went down and met with her and she said, let's go to dinner and let's go to your father's bar. And I walked in and to be perfectly honest, the attitude was just hello how are you blah 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 couldn't no emotion whatsoever um and that was the that was the last time i saw him um he he died many years ago so there was no no relationship there whatsoever it was just a guy standing behind a bar that's you, sick that that's pretty sick if you think about it you know do you feel like you missed something from him or um, like if you had a chance to talk to him again, would, would you tell him how you felt in that moment? I, I think the greatest thing is that the, from up to the age of seven, I got enough out of the relationship 
And I, I it, although they got divorced, sure, the one thing I missed was being in the dark room and seeing the ecstatic look on his face when he got a great picture. But right. thereafter, you know, they parted because of his alcohol because of his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there would have been any more because he was too set in his alcoholic ways. By the way, water. Yeah. <laughs> Drink your water. It's very important. Okay. So, <laughs> but, uh, are are you a uh, are you a grandfather? No, no. Uh, both daughters. Um, uh, Nikki is is married in um, England. No, I don't think. Uh, and she's in her forties. I don't think I will be. Uh, and Elizabeth is is she's rather she's more interested in her cats and dogs. Okay. Oh, she's a, a cat mom. Oh, yeah. And dog as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she's done and she's done nicely for herself. Uh, I see a lot of myself in her. Um, it is kind of interesting. Some conversations we had recently, um, the way she was discussing. Uh, I, she definitely has her father's mindset on things and it was cool some really really good and she always calls me dad which uh, you know nick or nicholas would be great but if she wants to call me dad fine that's 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 interesting why you don't want her to call you dad i i don't know i can't that one i can't answer for you how about (laughs) that i can't answer that um i just don't know but i i like but personally i like first names uh better um Although the father and mother is, or dad and mummy, or whatever it may be, uh, are, are certainly respectful, um, and I think there's a certain age that children can start utilizing the the the, the name of the the parent. Um, uh, you know, I, I see no problem with that. Yeah. You know, if, if you want to call them. If you want to call him daddy and you're 93 and he's, no, he couldn't do that. He'd be dead and gone. But yeah, <laughs> you, you get my drift. Right, right. So in the, in the time that, um, that you missed, what would you say was the biggest thing that you, that you missed during that time? Um, wow. During that period after, I, I, I didn't miss him. And, and, and this is where um, photographs and scissors come together a lot. <coughs> I remember my mother cutting up photographs and always going, there goes your father, there goes your <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I didn't miss him as such that I can remember uh, because I was surrounded by our grandmother, my grandmother came and uh, when we moved to Norfolk, she came and lived with us in Norfolk and she was there. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really miss, there was, n- I got on with my life. I had to stand on my own two feet. So I, I, I had no, if, if I think back, I, terrible to say, I didn't miss anything because I think I was forced not to miss anything because you know what happens in divorces. Yeah. You know, the other party is he's the worst, worst person in the world. You know, excuse me, somebody's moving a camera around out there. 
I can't wait. I'm going to get the skis out. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> what do you think? That, 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 no, that was a good question about what do you miss? Yeah. It really is. And I, I can't, I honestly cannot get, I don't think I missed anything. Did you ever ask your daughters what they missed? Like when you weren't there? Uh, uh, oh, there's things I certainly now know about that I missed. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I immersed myself in so much uh, work. Uh, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to do that, you know, in, in the business I'm in, it takes my it takes 100% to do what I do um, technology-wise. Um, I mean, if you could only see in this room, um, okay, I've got a large screen here, large screen there, television set here and another monitor right here um we we do a lot of research so we need to be able to pluck information from different places plus the fact when we do these type of calls um oh and by the way in the corner that side another computer over there as well um my life is all computers it's always information it's like my phone you've all seen the ad um for the phones well, this is the, uh, I'll open it. This is the new flip uh, phone um, that I, it's just like having a laptop with you. It's the new Samsung Flip 3, and I love it. Um, and, and it's always with me um, because today technology has changed. And, and think about, well, one of the things the other day, one of the other things the other day I was thinking about is uh, somebody said, uh, yeah, she was put in time out and they took her phone away. And I said, well, how old is she? Eight. I mean, what did you have when you were eight? Not okay, a cell like phone. A, huh? Not a cell hey, phone. Huh. Um, it, it's so reliant today, but I believe, uh, don't get me wrong, I love gadgets. Okay, but a gadget has to be something that works for me and with me, not just to look pretty. Uh, and there's enough gadgets around here that, you know. But life, especially daughters and, and communicating today, you know, you've either got the ability by phone, of course, uh, you've got, you know, Zoom teams and all the good stuff. So there's no excuse today for not communicating. But do people realize that? That's a, that's a great point. Um, and that, that made me think about the next question I want to ask you. So like in your, your past experiences, you've been all over the world, like interacting with a whole bunch of different people. Mm -hmm. So what, as far as communication goes, what would be like your number one thing to remember when learning to communicate from people from communicate with people from different cultures and you know different societies number one i always respect the time zone they're on okay <clears throat> in other words because of the you know i do this australian thing once a month uh, and it's one o'clock in the morning uh, and for me uh, and we always laugh about it because everybody says well nick's up early you know, well, I'm up because of you guys. And it's a 90-minute session. Now, to give you an idea, and I'll come back to more of that answer, um, my day starts at 3 a.m. 
virtually every day. Reason being, it's six hours time difference to London, which is nine o'clock in the morning. So I have to be on their time to be dealing with everybody in the office, making sure everything's working the right way. Um, but when it, what I learn about communications, um, certainly, again, ideology and culture, uh, that is also part of communications. Um, back in the late 70s, I was in uh, West Africa, in Liberia, in a place called Monrovia. Um, and there was a failure of communication there. The Russians were paying students to riot. Uh, the price of rice had gone up 20 odd percent and the locals couldn't afford it. But the government, very much a democratic dictatorship, uh, Talbot, um, the price went up. <clears throat> the Russians were paying students to uh, riot and it was uh, Good Friday and the riots were pretty rough, and the police, this is communication, the police were told to fire their very old rifles above the heads of the people. 76 people died of virtual head and chest wounds. I mean, that was the worst communication you can ever think of. They didn't know what they had, never dealt with it before, and were thrown into to a mire. So that's a, one thing about how you must communicate. Um, Dealing with the with um, the Middle East and dealing with the United Arab Emirates and, and Saudi, um, you have to understand ideology and culture, uh, and you have to understand what the, the do's and don'ts are, um, because your words may be one thing, but your body language can be completely the difference. It's like when you sit down uh, and you're talking with an Arab, you never sit down and raise your leg and cross it so that you show the sole of your foot. That's an insult. Okay, simple thing like that. Um, there's so many things that prior to being a global business, you've got to understand who you're talking with, why you're talking to them, uh, the speed of how you speak, certain language. Uh, I deal with uh, Africa. Um, and, and again, English terminology, I have to make sure that... Uh, we um, we speak their language. You you can't use certain words because they wouldn't know. Otherwise, you'd be spending hours trying to explain what that word meant. So you have to get down to a level that they understand. And that's the same here. Uh, you know, everybody talks about education systems. Between you, me, and the brick wall, education is, in this country sucks. It's bad because of one thing, and it comes back to why we're talking: parenting. You can't just say, here's my kid, teach him. You've got to do some of the work yourself. It's like people with, with God. Um, it's no good, it's no good uh, just praying to God saying, please, God, I, I, need, I need a pay raise. I, I'm working hard and I'm doing everything else. You have to do a thing called work. So you've got to go tell the guy that's writing the check. You've got to go talk to him too. It's not just up to God to do that. You know, that would be a miracle. I mean, that would if you didn't. But but I think it comes down to educating again. So that makes that leads me to another question. So how has like these experiences with communicating in different cultures, how does that taught you how to communicate like with the ones closest to you, like your wife and your, your daughters? Uh 
I don't think I, this is kind of sound crazy. I think by having learned how to do that, it is now invisible to me. I believe I'm a far better communicator, but it, I, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to go, well, I'm talking to my wife or my daughter and I need to talk this way. It, it becomes natural. And, and I think that's what uh, people don't understand is that, again, from your experience, it's going to get set inside you and you're not going to have to think about it. It becomes natural. Um, am I a good communicator? Sure. I know I know that because of how we do our symposiums and how we, we're talking now. Um, I don't need notes. It becomes natural. And that's what communications, once you understand that communication is a natural event, then you don't put you don't have to put that amount of effort into it because it's all up here and in your heart. Now, um, what would you say has been your biggest lesson from uh, the first marriage to the second one? Like, what did you learn from yourself, and uh, how how have you uh, navigated being married again, like as a husband? Well, as we're on my third marriage. Um, <laughs> um, don't buy an expensive ring. No, the most third time the charm. No, 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 no. Um, different levels. Um, first to second, I, I, I never learned anything. I, I mean, I, I, I made the same mistakes about getting too busy but still today even even with with Laurie I'm she knows I'm busy I, I think that the whoa hold on I'm gonna dump that out some what somebody's messing hold one second well the I think the the thing about learning between marriages is that first and second same mistakes third marriage still mistakes because nobody's perfect you know that um, I, th I think the biggest, the biggest thing is that COVID has helped. And here's why. Uh, Laurie worked in the hotel industry. And prior to COVID in the November, she retired. And she's thinking, well, Nick travels so much. It'll be me and the cat. He's gone. Relax. I can do what I want to do. COVID comes around. We've been together now solidly for every single day of COVID, okay? So, and we're still talking to each other and there hasn't been a murder um, <laughs> on either side. <laughs> so our communications has certainly helped, but it's not perfect because it can't be because we are two individuals um, and we have different different things. I, th I think one of the things that has happened is that on the family side, um, we have four uh, nieces and nephews who are the coolest kids that we watched grow up. And they're, if you like, are, are our kids, or we've got nie nieces uh, or wh whatever they are. Um, and, and it's watching them grow up and seeing that the mother is a teacher and these kids uh, have all got issues um, because they're kids. But if it wasn't for the parenting that's going on, and there have been issues in the parenting, um, I can assure you that you see changes that have happened. 
And it, I don't care what a family is. I don't care if they're multimillionaires or they haven't got two pennies to rub together. The issues are always the same on different levels. And so that that's where um, I, I think, uh, have I improved? I, I It would be somebody else who'd have to tell if I have improved or not. Do I think I've improved? Yes, I have. Have I improved to being perfect? No, I haven't. That was a good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, I know we're getting close to time, so I, I have one last question for you. Uh, so if you can go back and give advice to the 18-year-old you, what would that advice be? Oh, I don't think you know it all. Um, <laughs> I can remember what I was like at 18, and, and we've got to realize that the 18 to 24-year-old um, of, of my era and the 18 to 24-year-old of now, um, very, very different. Um, we... I saw a picture the other day of uh, a picture in the 60s and outside of the in the yard or on the grass were bicycles laying all over the place. Those were those were the things we did back then. If mum said, um, you know, you you got to be home by nine o'clock, you were home today. They've got to learn respect and they've got to understand trust that when their parent is telling them something, they've got to trust the information they're getting, but they've got to respect their parents because we've all been through it. And we're not just old fogies um, that, that, you know, we got one foot in the grave. You've got to start listening. Um, so an 18 year old, uh, I see so many of them that I, I wonder what the heck they're gonna be like in their twenties and thirties. And, and you turn around and go, this is upcoming leadership. But if we look at it that way and don't say, how can I impart more knowledge? How can I help those people? And it's bringing those people together, bringing the kids together. And you guys know it. I mean, you grew up in a different era than I did, but things have radically changed. So we've got to get the kids back on track. But how do you do it without them looking at it being an insult that you think I'm just a kid, but I, look, I'm 18. I've made it to 18. <coughs> um, it's difficult because as soon as you start telling them what they have to do, they're just going to reject you. So you've got to work on principles of sneaking it in, if you like, and, and making sure it's like, there is nothing I want to, with children today, with young, especially the 18s, the drugs, the, the what have you, the shootings that are going on. Look in Britain. Last year, we had 39 young people stabbed to death, I mean, which is massive. Never happened in my lifetime before. In Chicago, look at the killings you're getting from, from babies to, to gang members and what have you. Um, it's, they're surrounded by this stuff. So we've got to sneak it in and, and, and try and take them to one side or as a group. And I, I don't know whether these basketball nights 
uh, with you know with folks that want to play basketball with them, whether it helps or it doesn't help. I've never done it, so I don't know. But we've got to make a change now because if we continue down this path, we're screwed. I mean, really screwed. So it takes guys like yourselves who have got the uh, the wherewithal. I was going to say balls, but I won't say it. Uh, where, the wherewithal to absolutely go and say, look. <coughs> Does that answer? Yeah, and, and just you not saying balls made you say balls. And I had to say yeah. balls two more times, really three more times to say that. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, no, uh, but my last question to you um, it's kind of a segue into to this. Uh, it's a question I already asked you, Nicholas. It was, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And I'll read the, your response uh, short and sweet. You said, the power of positivity. So could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Once, look, having, <clears throat> having my first daughter way back in um, the early 70s, uh, or middle 70s. The birth of a child was wow, and the family and all the good stuff. We don't look at increasing the family as it, we're not as excited as we used to be. It's just another child. But then look at the cost, the investment that we're making into that child and the decision to become a parent. Um, there is the positivity. If you're going to have children, you've got to spend the time with them. The power of positivity is absolutely there. And it's not, uh, I laughingly have said this on many occasions where you're in the supermarket and there's a young couple who've got the, the push chair and they've got a baby in there and they're, they're smiling and everybody's happy. And I always go, yeah, it's going to be great. You've got 18 more years of that um, because you have. It's an investment. Um, and if you're not prepared to invest that time, you've not only done yourself a disservice, you've done the child a disservice. Um, and I think that is absolutely disastrous. Um, I'm far from positive. I'm far from not positive. I'm always positive, but I'm far from the perfect father in any way, shape or form. And it's admission that, you know where the mistakes are. And this is the guidance that you can give to people um, of what you didn't do and what you should have done. You know, there are two parents. No, sadly, we've got more single family parents and in poorer areas, they, they haven't got the car to drive them to basketball. They can't take them to this, that and the other. They don't have the money. So they're at a disadvantage to begin with and I think we've got to look at <clears throat> these areas in a different way. And I think local companies, let, let's forget government for crying out loud. There are corporations that are major manufacturing corporations in areas that ought to be investing in communities because that's a workforce that they can turn to. People will remember that XYZ company uh, built me built a, a new basketball court and we did this and we did that and they helped us or they did this for us or education that's what we got to do we got to get communities working together and certainly corporations um, stepping up to the plate as well 
Dr. Young, I don't know if you want to put this one in the Hall of Fame. But I think we should put this one in the Hall of Fame also. What do you think, man? Is it Hall yeah, of I agree. Fame? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Nicholas, what was your jersey number? Did you play any sports growing up? Oh, God. <clears throat> soccer. Yeah. Rugby. And that great game that you guys know nothing about called cricket. <laughs> I also I also played uh, tennis and also squash, if you know what squash, or racquetball, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. what was your number? What was your uh, go-to number? On the well, my, well, I want to add one more. My go-to number is actually golf because I had a two handicap. Um, I used to play too much of it. Um, but when, <laughs> when it comes down to the, the, the sports with a ball, it, that's another thing about coordination. And yeah. that is another thing that, that that really comes into perspective. But uh, when uh, football or soccer, I loved, and and all of the, all of our family have all been players of sports um, because it's camaraderie, it's uh, it's team spirit. Also, you you know you get two teams who want to kill each other, and they always leave the the uh, pitch or the the field shaking hands when five minutes ago they were trying to kill each other, but that's you know. right. <laughs> well, again, uh, Nicholas, this, this has been a great conversation. I definitely uh, do appreciate uh, your time and also your candor and sharing your story. I guarantee you some dads that's listening that may have some similarities uh, going on in their lives currently. So it's going to definitely provide a lot of value uh, to those dads listening for sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so for myself, for Sir Royce, uh, Dr. Yarn, did you have anything else before we wrap? Oh, no, just uh, thank you again, Nicholas. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Great conversation. Yeah, and don't appreciate. hang up, Nicholas. We're going to do a little, uh, little post-game, if you will. So uh, don't hang yeah. up. Uh, and, and, by, and by the way, thank you. I, I found yeah. it very interesting, and it was fun. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so again, yeah, for myself, Sir Royce Brialis, and for my colleague, Dr. Raheem Young, and also for our special guest, Nicholas Ashton of Our Fusion. Uh, definitely thank you for listening to WTF interviews and stay tuned for further announcements.